You're in the light breakfast with me, Anita, and this morning we're on HealthWise with the good doctor, Dr. Rajbans, president of the Malaysian Wellness Society. Good morning, Dr. Rajbans. Good morning. It's been a while since we've been on the show together. Yes, right. <laughs> okay, we're discussing some of the latest uh, topics in health, and what's come about recently is the discussion of how often and how frequently we should be eating to optimize our metabolism. You know, all the old people say, eat slowly, chew slowly. Now, is there is there truth? that? Yeah, I mean, it does make sense, isn't it? Because uh, the thing we talk about is our metabolism and you know, a lot of people say how can you increase your metabolism? Basically, metabolism is trying to convert your food into energy. You know, we talk of basal metabolic rate where basically even just doing nothing, just sitting here now, you know, we are breathing, our food is being digested, you know, our, our whole processes are going on the body and that itself is, uh, you know, needs energy. You know, So that's how much of energy you need and that's what they call basal metabolic rate. Mm-hmm. Now, if you want to lose weight, you know, to increase your metabolism, metabolism increase your metabolic rate and so how do you do that so a lot of uh, things out there they say that you know eating uh, small, more fr- meals. small meals more <laughs> frequently might help to increase the metabolism and uh, you know of course I think chewing your food well and uh, you know taking it slowly but good thing is of course you help to digestion because when you chew well you actually sort of help the saliva get in you know the, the enzymes in the saliva and then your body is getting ready for you to Digest. get absorption digestion everything and and those chemicals are removed, those enzymes are released in the body. So it's a way of processing. So if you eat too fast, sometimes you might uh, not be you know, chewing the food properly mm. and that can lead to other issues. So that's a good idea to chew slowly. Do I have one guy who eats very fast because doctors, you never know when you get called, so <laughs> bad habit. But I think that's a good habit. I'm the opposite. Yes, huh? Yeah. You eat slowly. Yeah. yeah, you know, some some people do that, but I'm, I suppose just, uh, I know a lot of doctors do that, eat very mm. fast. And uh, the other thing is, uh, do you need more small frequent meals or do you good to have a what they say you know breakfast like a king and yeah. uh, lunch like a prince and uh, you know dinner, dinner like, like a pauper yeah I, I think it makes sense because you take a good meal you know it takes time for the body to digest and then you get ready for the next meal mm-hmm. but I think there are a lot of variables here your again genetics plays you know your metabolic rate your exercise you know those who exercise probably need more energy they can eat, eat a bit more eating right food is important because I think muscle actually increases the metabolic rate so eating proteins and building muscle muscles, a lot of strengthening exercises. So a lot of variables, eat certain foods that increase your metabolism, you know, like spices. Spices? uh, Yeah. So, (laughs) you know, like curcumin definitely increases metabolism. I think certain supplements could do that. So it's many variables um, that play along. So I think the important thing is uh, eat regular meals, but the right meals, healthy meals, you know, that's important. Okay. Coming up next, we'll be talking about gene-edited chickens in a bid to halt next pandemic. That's next on Light After. Charlie Puth and Megan Trainer on Light. We're on HealthWise this morning with the good doctor, Dr. Rajbans, president of the Malaysian Wellness Society. And we're discussing how scientists are now making gene-edited chickens in a bid to halt next pandemic. You know, so what's interesting is that these chickens have been gene-edited in order to make them flu-resistant. In a sense that they've removed this thing which the protein latches on that, that the flu usually flu virus usually latches on. And it raises some interesting questions. Dr. Rajbans, we you know something something always goes wrong 
when you mess with Mother Nature, it tends to be. What are your thoughts on this? Yeah, I mean, we're not sure. You know, if you genetically modified, we got you no know, genetically modified foods, and uh, you know, now we got genetically modified chickens. Yeah, I wonder where we'll go uh, next. Uh, <laughs> but you know, I think the idea of the flu virus is yeah frightening. You know, the last pandemic in 1913, I think the Spanish flu killed 50 million people. Yeah, in the late 1990s, I think the H1N1 affected about five killed about five hundred thousand. So it's a lot of people. You know, yeah. it's a huge uh, population out there that's getting affected by this flu Earth virus. Flu. Yeah, and you know, if if the pandemic does come, it is going to be very scary and it's going to affect a lot of people. So whether doing this by preventing the virus going to chickens and that will prevent it from humans, I think that's a great idea. But the effect of chickens on our health long term, no idea. Yeah, these these genetically edited chickens. Huh? The question yeah. is also, yeah. you know, I mean, that compared to what we've got in the market at the moment. Which are full yeah. of antibiotics and, and hormones. hormones and all that. Yeah, that that itself is bad. So I think modifying the genes shouldn't do anything to our health actually because it's the chicken that's been modified. It's not the meat or what you know. So mm. I think it shouldn't affect our health at all. We're surviving uh, so far with the genetically modified plants. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and I think if they can actually also stop using, then not need to use uh, hormones and antibiotics even better. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. yeah. So th- there might be a positive trade off there. You yeah, know, it's just yeah. people's uh, mentality about you know approaching. Frankenstein chicken, so to speak. Yeah, <laughs> it's just a mindset. So it is. Yeah, but I think yeah, I think we just have to wait and see. At the moment, is there a way for us to minimize the risk of catching the influenza in any way? I think again, when the pandemic comes, it's going uh, your immune system. I think people who are more healthy, who have maintained their immune system, probably will have a better chance against the virus. And I think a lot of people out there today, poor health, diabetes, smokers, you know, overweight, obesity, all these are going to affect your immune system. So I think, like I always say, you know, just stay healthy. All right. What about the flu shot? Yeah, I mean, flu shot will help. I don't know whether it, when the pandemic comes, that's why you're worried about it. Will be a virus that is mutated. So whether the flu shot going to help, we don't know. Right. Next, we're going to be talking about bleeding risks with aspirin. Does the benefit outweigh the risk of heart disease? That's next after Mariah Carey and Boys to Men on Light. It's a light breakfast, and we're on Healthwise with Dr. Raj Bans this morning, president of the Malaysian Wellness Society. We're discussing some of the latest topics on health, and we're touching on bleeding risks, maybe offsetting aspirin's benefit versus heart disease. Now, Dr. Raj Bans, I'm a little bit confused because every time I think of aspirin, I'm thinking of you know I associate it with headaches, you know, as in like what I take when I have headaches. And so, what is the deal about aspirin and warding off heart disease? Yeah, I mean aspirin, as you know, is a uh, useful pain, and you know that's. High dose aspirin. So if you're taking about 600 milligram, 1,200, then mm. you're looking at you know relieving pain, relieving inflammation. But what they discovered long time ago was taking baby aspirin or a low dose aspirin of 75 milligram, 100 milligrams, mm-hmm. maybe even up to 150 milligrams. This has more of an anti-platelet effect. Okay. So aspirin was one of the earlier drugs used for you know after heart attacks or preventing heart attacks, preventing strokes. So a lot of patients even today after a heart attack, you know, or get a stroke, they actually are put on aspirin though there are more new antiplatelet drugs coming to the market so aspirin is slowly uh, losing its flavor <laughs> uh, but you know it is still a very cheap antiplatelet drug still very effective for preventing heart disease and strokes and now the question here is that it's, it's a blood thinner right it's a blood thinner yeah. so it's an antiplatelet effect when it's a low dose so the question is and people are asking now can i take aspirin for normal i mean give aspirin to normal people that means like you and i just take a baby aspirin every to day to of heart disease to, yeah for prevention right. right now the question is that we also know the aspirin and other problems you know so the problem of 
anti-platelets, you can get like GI hemorrhages, you know, gastrointestinal people get gastritis, get peptic mm. ulcer disease, can also affect your kidneys. You know, you can get hemorrhages just from aspirin itself. So I got patients who have a fall who are on aspirin and then, you know, get a bleed in the brain right. or anywhere else. Because so, so the, the blood's not clotting. Yeah, not clotting. So the benefits of uh, aspirin, you know, people on aspirin suddenly need emergency surgery. They have to delay it for a few days or they have to give them platelets to counter the aspirin effect. So wow. all these are there. So I think for normal people, the risk and benefits actually don't match so much as study shows. Mm-hmm. It's almost equivalent. You The number of heart attacks avoided, you get the same amount of people getting uh, other complications. So I think for normal people, I think we should still back to our lifestyle. I mean, if it's not broken, don't try to fix it. Yeah, like, I mean, in a sense, right? <laughs> yeah, if you're taking the right sort of diet, exercise, and you're actually basically already going on to a healthy lifestyle, you won't get your heart attacks and strokes, mm. you know. So it's again, people who get heart attack and strokes is because of the risk factors they have, you know, from overweight to genetics to obesity to, you know, eating too much of things like refined carbs, saturated carbohydrates, metabolic syndrome. So all these are preventable. So if you can look at that, rather than taking aspirin and hoping you won't get a, you know, heart attack or a stroke, so I think normal people shouldn't take aspirin but of course if you already have a risk factor already have a heart attack or stroke then antiplatelets are important Right. Next, we're going to be talking about an interesting new study which is now urging women to look after their mental health before conception and how important that is for your future child That's next after Stevie Wonder and Caleb Scott with Leona Lewis on Light we're with Dr. Raj Bans, President of the Malaysian Wellness Society on HealthWise. And this morning, we're discussing new Australian research, which has found that women who suffer from depression before falling pregnant are more likely to have children with psychosocial problems, suggesting that looking after mental health before pregnancy could be as important as other health factors such as exercise and a healthy diet. Now, this is not surprising at all, right, Dr. Raj Bans? I can see the correlation there. But does that mean that if you're depressed, you should not be trying to conceive or should be putting off trying to conceive I mean the research just shows that if you're you know if your mother is depressed then the chances of you know, the child also getting affected later in life is there you know yeah. so with the psychosocial issues so I think one of the things would be you know maybe go and get help uh, you know mental health is very important and if you feel that you are depressed and you know before you're trying to have a child and all that maybe go and see someone mm. and see whether they can help you get out of the depression get back to a good mental health and then maybe go and conceive you know right that will be the ideal thing to do but sometimes people don't know that they are depressed, depressed. and that's the problem they and think they're just stressed out because yeah, they're trying to conceive yeah that's right <laughs> so it can be a bit difficult but if you sh- think that you are facing some mental issues then go and get help because I think one of the things about Asians is uh, I find that overseas the you know the westerners they don't have a problem going and seeing someone less like of a, a psychologist or a stigma mm. here I find that they are a bit more oh you know the first thing they say is what see someone like that I'm not mad you're not just talking about mental health you're not talking that you're mad so uh, and talking to someone who can help you is actually very important I think that's a very good point also some women think that having children might help improve their emotional well-being you know a lot of people are trying to conceive and they have this notion in their heads you know has this been proven like you know for example you know they think oh you know with a child I'll be happier and then you know the breastfeeding you know there's oxytocin being released yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean that that part of it yes uh, you know the, the good hormones are there the good chemicals you feel happy uh, but you also got uh, you know situations where people it is going to postnatal depression right. which can be very severe so again you have to see you know how you are I think people who are depressed before pregnancy 
have a higher chance of getting postnatal depression right. so all these must be looked at and uh, though overall if you got a healthy mental health and having a baby actually improves it mm. you know because you you know in a happier mood you got a, all these you know, new hormones and chemicals released but those who are already having problems must be careful Right. Yes. How adversely does a depressed parent affect their baby? Again, that study shows that uh, you know that if you are depressed, the chances of your child having psychosocial problems later in life are there. So again, you have to be careful. Yeah, can't stress that enough. Up next, we're going to be discussing parents giving kids vitamins and supplements to prevent the cold. Now, is that really effective? That's coming up after Lighthouse Family and Art Company on Light. We're on HealthWise with Dr. Rajbans, president of the Malaysian Wellness Society, in studio with us. And we're discussing some of the latest topics on health. And now we're looking at a new national U.S. poll that has found around half of parents still give their children vitamins and supplements to help prevent a cold, despite no scientific evidence that they actually work. So that's the question, Dr. Rajbans. I mean, you know, with all these vitamins and supplements, is it just expensive pee for your children? <laughs> actually, the important thing is when you take a supplement, you must know why you're taking a supplement mm. i always feel that your supplement should be prescribed you know by someone who knows what they are talking about uh, you know but of course supplements been said to be safe so everybody becomes an expert in supplements and mm. parents think they know what they need for their kids so they go and buy and there's a lot of advertisement out there unlike pharmaceutical drugs which are very well controlled you know you can't directly advertise to a consumer right. where supplements you can do that now uh, i think there's no harm in taking supplements uh, you know whether it does any harm i don't think so but for preventive uh, measure yeah but whether it really helps in prevention we don't know <laughs> secondly i think it should not replace your lifestyle you know and if diet. kids yeah and kids if kids are given so much of candy and sugars and they are putting on weight and they are not exercising they're sitting in front of the television they're stuck with their gadgets mm. you know their immune system is going to be weak and they're going to pick up an infection no matter what you do yeah. you know so the supplements are not going to be there to help you then but a healthy diet a good exercise this thing you know kids are healthy and then giving them some vitamin c or some probiotics yeah no harm oh, you know Yeah. yeah it, it just supports their system and maybe it will prevent them from getting some flus and regular infections you know but kids are going to get you know and they get exposed to other kids they're going to pick up some infections but if you got a healthy immune system and if you're giving them some supplements maybe the you know that infection will be lesser or they won't mm. be so severe so yes no harm but please focus on the lifestyle first mm. rather than just jump and give some supplements hoping that will prevent yeah. the flu whereas you're not talking about the long term benefits of a, a healthy diet exercise program you know making sure the children have good enough sleep so all those are important yeah that's a interesting point actually having good and enough sleep you know the amount of children that i see running around uh out you know especially in this country is shocking you know yeah. at, at, at an age where they're supposed to be sleeping by 8 yeah, you know uh, at the latest and even at <laughs> home i wonder whether they do sleep early with all the televisions and gadgets and all that so all those things are important i mean those things would be taught to the kids to start life healthy in the early stages is Mm. you know and of course to do that the, the parents and teachers must follow the lifestyle and that's where another problem is <laughs> you know, so so don't take a shortcut by just giving supplements make sure it's a healthy lifestyle and supplements can support that that's brilliant thank you so much for joining us today dr rajpans thank you always a pleasure